Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Logicast, the AWS news podcast brought to you by Logicata. My name is Carl Robinson. I'm CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined today, as always, by my colleague, John Goodall. How are you doing today, John? I'm okay. I'm all right. I hurt myself at the weekend plumbing in a washing machine, but other than that, I'm all right. You told me on Friday that your washing machine was already plumbed in, so... Yeah, it had to come out because my water pressure is pathetic, so it had to come out. Pipes had to get cleaned, that kind of thing. I do hope you're talking about your household plumbing. And uh... <laughs> Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> Good. So, moving swiftly on from uh, water pressure and uh, and plumbing. Plumbing tips. Um, if, you're, <laughs> if you're new to the podcast, um, every week I handpick a selection of AWS News, which is shared via our weekly AWS News Roundup uh, email newsletter. And then John and I uh, pick a subset of those articles, which we want to talk about in a little bit more detail. So we've got another five such articles this week to talk to you about. The first of which um, is uh, on our favorite topic of serverless, uh, which if you listen regularly, we generally are talking about serverless most weeks. Uh, This week, We've got an article um, from AWS, uh, which is announcing some new functionality. Uh, You can now validate AWS serverless application model templates, that's SAM templates, with CloudFormation Linter to speed up development. So this is a new feature, I believe, John. Um, Tell us more about uh, what you can do with CloudFormation Linter. This is the sort of lint that doesn't come out of your pockets, just so that we're completely clear. Yeah, we've moved on from laundry now, so uh, we are <laughs> we not... are actually now talking about AWS um, and uh, technology. Um, although we may end up straying back into laundry, as we often do ramble on a bit. <laughs> All right, so as is my way, I shall start with a couple of definitions for those that are unfamiliar. Uh, so we know what the serverless application model is. It's it's a, a wrapper around cloud formation adds a couple of features, makes life a bit less horrible. Um, cloud for, uh, a linter, in general, is um, considered part of white box testing. It's just you run your code, you run the linter against your code, and it kind of tells you whether you're syntactically correct and semantically correct and made any silly mistakes or, or done anything that are against convention and that kind of thing. Like the Python linter is a good example of that, where it will say, you know, you've used the wrong kind of variable case here or... You know, you're not indented properly there and that kind of thing. CloudFormation has a linter and it does the same sort of thing. And it also does some kind of static tests against it to see that whether the linter thinks it will work or not so that you can um, just work out whether it will actually deploy before deploy time because it does this much faster. Because obviously when you're deploying it, dependencies and things have to take effect. And, you know, you might have a problem three or four layers down and the linter will find it in half a second, but your deployment might take 10 minutes. The SAM CLI, which is just kind of a wrapper around the uh, CloudFormation CLI, has a validate mode, and that only really counts with the um, SAM resources. It doesn't really look at the CloudFormation resources. It just makes sure that your SAM bits are okay. But considering that SAM is a wrapper around CloudFormation, um, that's problematic. So with this, what they've done is they've kind of mashed the two together so that you get your CloudFormation validation and your SAM linting, CloudFormation linting and your SAM validation, that way around, at the same time, which is great. It's lovely. We like this. Could you have just run the CloudFormation linter against a SAM template before? No, actually. Well, you could run it, but it would go, I don't know what half of these things are because CloudFormation doesn't have a concept of what SAM is. So this is cool. I like this. 
I like this very much, and I foresee me using it to preempt that question. Yeah, so, but I, I'm confused about why you might use it because we're not a big cloud formation shop. Um, so, where where might you use it? Well, as I've said a couple of times before, things like Terraform are great for anything that isn't serverless. For serverless, it's horrible. It's really horrible. It doesn't work very well. Whereas SAM, I've got a lot of experience using it for serverless, and it's just much nicer to work with. It takes a lot of the nasty bits of the development out and just does it for you. Fair enough. Got it. And uh, I just noticed on the uh, the wide view, uh, your cat is wandering up and down just out of shot. <laughs> You I did see, see her ears the, just poking uh, yeah, around. Yeah. Can't actually see it in the stream view, but uh, in the full width view, I can see your cat wandering up and down the workbench <laughs> in the background. Um, so uh, move, moving along then uh, to our next article. Um, this one is about setting up a secure CICD pipeline in an Amazon VPC with no public internet access. Um, so this is another um, AWS blog post, this particular one on the AWS DevOps blog. Um, so why might you need to set up a secure CICD pipeline in a private VPC with no public internet access? Because your security team or your CISO is based in 1982 and they don't trust the internet. <laughs> um, there are some reasons for wanting to do this. That's one of them. And I'm being a little bit flippant, but in some cases, people genuinely don't like having services that are kind of on the internet or talking over the internet or, or whatever, doing part of their build. I don't really buy that personally, but then I'm not an enterprise security architect. And I think they just think about these things a bit differently. I don't really buy it, but then I also don't really buy into the whole data sovereignty argument that those sorts of people kind of trot out every so often because it's a nonsense but there we are um reading this blog it did to an extent feel like an advert for using aws cicd tools and it just kind of dressed up in this post it's look you can do everything with our tooling you don't need to go off and use something that's better <laughs> so it did feel a bit like an advert this post but it is still quite interesting why you'd want to do it like I say, because you don't want something in another tool set, be that um, another PaaS, SaaS tool that you're paying for outside of your AWS bill or something on-prem because you don't have any on-prem capability or you just don't like the fact that it's going over the public internet. Even though it's going over TLS, you don't like the fact that it's going over the public internet. So that's why you do this. The setup is is... Interesting, but relatively standard as far as these things go. Code commit is their version of a Git repo. Code pipeline is their version of pipelines. And code build does the buildy bits. They've done it with uh, code artifact to say that you can also do it with um, package publishing. So Python packages and NuGet packages and that kind of thing. And we've spoken about this a little bit in previous episodes, but it's. I think what they're trying to say is that you don't have to use anything other than an AWS service and with VPC endpoints you can do all of this without going over the public internet at all which for very specific slightly paranoid use cases is useful and important and all that kind of thing um, yeah it's one of those here's how you can do it type blog posts and it's just very long and lots of pictures and kind of do it all through the console which is interesting given that it's in a advanced blog section apparently i'd like to think that advanced users were doing it with cloud formation or with the cdk or something but there we are 
not through ClickOps. <laughs> Great term, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I guess perhaps the use case for this though, is if you've got development environments, test environments, and you don't want them connected to the internet, here's a way you can you can do that. That's one of them. The one that I really buy more than that, although that's kind of how they've sold it, is you need this tooling, but you don't want to have to pay several vendors for it, and you don't want to run Jenkins because you're a normal person. So this way, you've got you know your code commits and your code pipeline and all the rest of it all just either free, free tier, or baked into your AWS bill, so you don't have to worry about making sure that you're paying GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, whatever, and it's just kind of all there. And you don't need those services to be coming in over an internet connection because this can yeah. all be done with endpoints, right? So yes. if you're using third-party CI/CD SaaS applications um, you wouldn't be able to isolate the environment from the internet i guess no you wouldn't and that's the internet as a whole is not necessarily a problem the fact that you need to provide those services with access into your account is kind of where i think the risk is because mm. traditionally you'd have done that with an iam user using it as a service account and then completely forgetting to rotate the keys every 90 days because no one does it Lately, you can do it with OIDC and temporary credentials and all that. But again, that's a faff to have to set up. And with this, you don't have to do any of that because it's all already there. And it just uses the standard IAM roles. Oof, done. Yeah, I do like these uh, these new AWS CICD tools because uh, they're all named with the, the Ron Seal approach. <laughs> which really helped me, actually, in my AWS Solutions Architect professional exam because they all do what they say on the tin. Um, they haven't got weird names that, that require what, an like explanation. like Athena. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, if, if you haven't studied AWS, you wouldn't have a clue what Athena is, whereas Code Commit, Code Pipeline, Code Build, and Code Artifact are all relatively self-explanatory. So even if you've never used them or you know fully understand what they do, it's pretty obvious from the naming. Code so, build uh, is the funny one there because it says, oh, it's for building code. But in truth, it can run any arbitrary script you like. So it yeah. can do anything. Um, but uh, it's very rare a question about that comes up. <sighs> More issues with your mute button. <laughs> this is slick. My cat's interrupting. Your phone's going off. Is my doorbell going to go next? <laughs> You're still on mute, by the way. This is fun. This is really cool. Yeah, I didn't. I did manage to find the mute button this week, um, but I must remember to log out of Microsoft Teams uh, before we do the podcast every week uh, because it is one of the things that bypasses the do not disturb. And most things that bypass the do not disturb come through my headphones, so you can't actually hear them through the microphone. But of course, Microsoft Teams is connected to my Jabra. Um, conference speaker um and therefore it comes out of the speaker and interrupts the podcast so uh, other collaboration tools further, and conferencing speakers are available <laughs> before we go any further i'm just gonna do I, do I need to sign out of teeth you see it knows i'm in a meeting but uh, for some <laughs> reason the phone calls bypass that so i'm going to sign out i'm going to completely sign out of microsoft teams because we're not using that right now um uh, there we go it would just be lovely if one day between Microsoft and Apple, they could come up with a do not disturb that actually stops disturbing you. It was an issue I had with Windows before switching to Apple. I was told that it was much better in the world of Apple because you just set it to 
focus or do not disturb and nothing comes through but it's not true loads of things still come through like whatsapp for example and uh, teams and so on and so forth so yeah it'd be lovely just to, if anybody from apple is listening it'd be lovely just to have a button that when i press do not disturb i am not disturbed <laughs> fairly simple anyway Apologies for that uh, that interruption and that uh, that tangent. That's the best bit of the pod, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. How, how, how do we finish that article, John? I've completely lost my lost the thread. Trading for. I think we finished. I think we have. Yeah. We were just talking about Amazon's product names being yeah. a little bit more self-explanatory than they used to. So, big thumbs up to the uh, Amazon product teams for now naming your products. Um, so that uh, they do they what do. they say on, yeah, they do what they say on the tin. Brilliant, the Ron Seal approach. Um, so other shed paint to... is available. <laughs> well, we're never going to get any. Uh, we're never going to get any sponsors, John, if we don't, you know, name drop in the uh, in the podcast. <laughs> so moving swiftly on to our third article this week. Um, this one is from the AWS Cloud Operations and Migrations blog, and uh, the title is. Visualize and gain insights into your AWS cost and usage with Amazon Managed Grafana. Now, I haven't read this one because uh, John decided to uh, to trick me by swapping the articles at the beginning of the podcast. So uh, straight over to you, John, on this one, because I haven't had an opportunity to read it. What do you mean? You don't read all of the articles that you share every week. <laughs> I skim them. Okay. Okay. Uh, so this is a fun one. Um, and right at the start, they kind of admit to the same thing that, that logically you'd think reading this is, isn't there a cost and usage explorer in the AWS billing console? Yes, yes, there is. It's pretty good. I quite like it. I like it better than some third-party tools, mostly because... It does what it's supposed to do rather than trying to be too clever for its own good. But there we are. But what they're admitting to here is that that particular console doesn't cover everything you might want it to do. Hence the cost and usage report, which you can then import into other things, um, you know, Redshift, Athena, whatever, and get different data. It's the same data, but you can kind of draw different conclusions, go a bit more detailed, all that kind of thing. What this is doing is, this is another one of those, here's how you do it is setting up um, managed Grafana and Athena, which we've said, what, what was that? Athena is the Greek goddess of wisdom, so you gain wisdom by using it, I think. Um, so yeah, by using managed Grafana and Athena, you can query this data in different ways without having to use third-party tooling. That's a bit of a theme for this week, isn't it? No third-party tooling. <laughs> Um, so again, yeah, what you do, you set up your cost and usage report, you get that um, dumping into S3, and then you start querying it using Athena, which just uses normal SQL, which is great, which we like, because it's not another language to have to learn, or another version of another language to have to learn, which is great. Uh, and then you can use Grafana to query the Athena data source, and you get these, if you've not used Grafana, it's, it's a graphing tool, as the name might imply. Um, you can use Athena as a data source for Grafana, and you've got these lovely nice graphics, and it's really nice to look at, and you can give it to an accountant who doesn't know SQL because they're an accountant, and they can kind of see where you spend is, what the categories are, and all that kind of thing, which is great, which we love. Of course, there are some SQL queries that you might have to write because, again, the accountant doesn't know SQL, but then you don't know how to balance a 
P&L. Do you balance P&Ls? I don't think you balance P&Ls. You might balance well, you balance, you balance your books. So, you balance, uh, mm. yeah. You pay and you pay and a profit and loss. You say, I know it, that. Which is, which is in your books. So, mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't get it to balance. Uh, but, yeah. There's definitely one thing I would like to highlight from this article, and I'm going to invite you to guess what it might be, John. What do you think might be jumping out of this article for me? Is it the cost and usage report, report brackets, cure? No, no, it's not the cure. Because no, you love no, an acronym. Uh, yeah, I do love an acronym, but uh, it's it's one th- it's 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 one of my bugbears. Oh, are they using the wrong icons? Yeah, those are the legacy lambda icons that they've got in that uh, <laughs> in that schematic there. So uh, yeah, um, uh, <laughs> all, all, all of all of the other ones are the nice uh, new, fresh, modern icons, but those uh, definitely legacy lambda icons. Um, it really bugs and, you, doesn't it? It's fun. It, it's just kind of yeah, it just kind of grates a little bit, you know that. Uh, that uh, somebody in Amazon is not editing these blog posts to make sure that they're using all the latest, uh, the latest shiny icons. But um, yeah, I wonder are. if they're using something like Draw.io. Other graphing tools are available, which is quite guilty of not updating all of the icons. Yes, we uh, that's that's how uh, people in Logicata end up making that mistake. Uh, but I usually pounce on them and uh, direct them to the uh, the latest icon toolkit, which I, of course I have downloaded onto our file share. Um, for, for everyone to use um so um, anyway uh moving uh, moving on then um i can see why you switched that one in there john because it, it kind of segues nicely um into uh this next article um which was um about someone who accidentally ran up a thirteen thousand dollar amazon bill um so uh, i guess uh, cost and usage explorer wasn't high on their list uh, but this is an article on the news stack um that uh, the headline is it happened to me how i suddenly owed aws thirteen thousand dollars um so uh, they're a reporter they're not doing uh, an awful lot with aws um and i guess it's it's a little bit unfair uh, because uh, in this particular example it is a case of fraud uh, and the account was hacked uh, but it does highlight uh, a number of best practices which were clearly lacking in this case so um, yeah talk us uh, talk us through this one john Well, I think there's definitely two elements to this. As you say, it's a reporter. They're not doing a lot. It was fraud. The account got hacked through one method or another. Um, They don't really say how they did it in the end because they never really dug into it. They just kind of resolved the problem. Um, And, yeah, they they hadn't set up CloudTrail. They hadn't set up budgets or MFA and all of that sort of thing. So they kind of went and did that after the fact. But it's a bit like, um, you know, closing the gate after the horse has bolted. And you sold the farm already. Like, you know, it's much too late by then. But there we are. So they've done that now. Cool. Wonderful. And that's definitely something that you need to be doing for customer accounts, for your personal accounts. I run a little personal Amazon account that has a bit, Amazon AWS account that has an annual monthly bill of about $2 because I back my NAS and some bits and pieces up to it. So it costs me about $2 a month. Ergo, I have budgets and MFA and stuff on that such that on about the 20th of every month it says you've used 80 percent of your budget because you've used a buck 50. wonderful but then i'm certified in doing this i do this for customers every day of the week it's well not saturdays and sundays but i do this a lot you know and for people that don't it's very easy to forget to do that and muck something up and end up with a really big bill be that because of fraud or because you spun up deep racer and forgot to turn it off which is it's a bit naughty from aws's perspective that these things aren't on by default 
I think mm. other providers certainly do free tiers better by saying, is it Oracle? Might be Oracle. And I don't like calling it cloud, but Oracle cloud, that you have to specifically click a button to say that I want to be able to give you money now. Whereas AWS, mm. it's just kind of really easy to do. You do get the free tier alerts. Um, but uh, yeah, things like the budgets, like you say, that you know, there's no additional authorization to uh, to start spending money. Um, but uh, no. you do get notifications. But I think in this particular instance, all the notifications are going to spam or uh, another folder where the uh, the reporter had not seen them. Um, and uh, I guess that's pretty easy to do in all of the email noise that we get these days. If you're not managing oh, yeah. emails effectively, it's very easy to miss something like that. Yeah. So that's that's part one of this. And part two of this, and this is something that one of our fellow commentators in the space, Corey Quinn, says every so often when these sorts of things come up, is, and I, I don't want to be too dramatic about this, and I'm not, but people will die because of how badly Amazon managed these. You hear of these sorts of things where... Um, you know, people have accidentally run up massive bills on trading platforms and whatever, and they've gone, ah, and don't know how to deal with it, and then they rather regrettably go and jump off a bridge or something. It's only a matter of time before that sort of thing happens here, because this reporter, being a reporter and being a vaguely sensible person, kind of had a little bit of a wherewithal with them, and they kind of went in and, and validated their card with AWS, and then AWS tried to charge them the full 13 grand to their card four times in an hour. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's They've reported that this is not valid and that they need help and that they can't pay it. And what does AWS's response? Give me my money. What? It's the power of automation, though. <laughs> no emotion involved. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, and then they get a hold of the security team and the security team say, yeah, yeah, this is ridiculous and this shouldn't have happened. We're terribly sorry and all the rest of it. But again, horse has bolted. Farm's been sold. Farmer's gone. I, it's far too late by then. This is the sort of thing that will end up causing actual harm because it's handled badly. So what are your recommendations then? What what should AWS be doing differently um, to prevent... Well, when someone reports happening? a bill that they can't pay, don't try and charge it, for starters. Yeah. Just, you know, apply a bit of logic there. Um Granted, I'm sure that they get lots of those kind of every single day saying, oh, I've got this bill and I can't pay it, help. Um, but you'd think a company as big as AWS within the bigger Amazon setup would be better at this. They would. It's not for me to, to work that one out. That's It's on me to complain about it. It's on them to work it out. They're the billion-dollar company. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, most of the training, the sort of uh, 101 training um, that you go through, people like Cloud Guru, et cetera, when you're setting up your first AWS accounts, some of the first things they walk you through are setting up budget alerts, um, setting up MFA and so on and so forth. Um, so, you know, perhaps more of that could be sort of baked into the platform um, to be to be there um, by default rather than requiring the user to set it up. Um yeah, absolutely. I mean, once again, it's it's not on the training providers as I see it to do that because the training providers are a third party. We're a third party and we're banging on about it. It should be on AWS to do this. Yeah, and not everyone's going to do training, right? I mean, the, you know, the beauty of public cloud is you can just jump in and start doing stuff, you know, start building, start creating, start innovating. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff should be baked in, um, you know, if, if if best practice is to have MFA um, on the root account or you know on your IAM user, 
enforce don't, it. Don't let us don't let us create <laughs> root accounts and IM users without MFA. Um, you know, if best practice is to have budget alerts, put budget alerts in by default, which can be removed or can be can be modified, I guess. So I think the, the providers are getting better at this. Um, you know, AWS is getting better at it. There's there's a lot more um in terms of best practice checks and in terms of warnings and everything else. Uh, but like you say, I think there's there's a lot more improvement which could go on in this area to, um, you know, to make these things much more difficult. Uh, I guess it's always a balance, though, isn't it, of, you know, making it easy for people to get onto the cloud and to build and to innovate versus making it difficult for bad actors um, or mm. misconfigurations it's to hard. occur. It's hard, no. It is. I mean, I think it was Corey again that said this, that what would probably work quite well is a nice big button somewhere in settings that says, this is a production account, and by default they're not. And if it's a production account, run the service. Do not interrupt it. If it's not a production account, low aggressive budgets and shout at me regularly, you know. Yeah. Very big, clean, obvious dividing line between this must never, ever be stopped versus this must never charge me more than 100 quid. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what developments uh, crop up here. If they don't I guess... get it right, then they will be legislated. It just will take time. But if they don't get it right by themselves, yeah. it will end up being legislated. Of course, the, uh, the the happy ending here is that the reporter did get their money back. Um, so uh, they did not have to pay the $13,000 bill and they did not have to therefore go and... Uh, step off a bridge somewhere so uh, it's not it's not all doom and gloom um, but it does just go to show um, how easy it is if you're not following best practice um, for these things to to happen it's not the first story i've seen like this and i'm sure it won't be the last but uh, yeah watch this space um, for how aws and the other cloud providers are going to deal with it so um Moving on to our last article this week, which is from our friends at the Register. Uh, another great Register headline, uh, starting with the words, oh dear, AWS. <laughs> uh, oh dear, AWS. Cloud growth is slowing as customers get a dose of cost reality. Um, so, um, you know, obviously everyone's struggling in these uh, these difficult economic times, um, you know, crazy inflation, um, costs are rising and uh you know, AWS is obviously a huge consumer of energy, so their costs are rising too. If you think your home electricity bill is painful, uh, imagine uh, the electricity bills uh, when you're running uh, hundreds of data centers all around the globe. Um, but, uh, you know, that's obviously the uh, the, the margin element. Um, but uh, what's being highlighted here is the uh, the, the, the slowing growth um, of AWS and indeed the other big providers, except Google, um, whose growth uh, has continued to accelerate, uh, uh, albeit they're one of the smaller providers in the space. Um, but uh, certainly AWS and Microsoft's growth um, has uh, has slowed in the last quarter. It was quarterly results last week, hence the timing of this article. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because even though the growth has slowed, um, AWS has still reported a quarter-on-quarter -quarter revenue increase of 27.5%, which is eye-watering. Um, you know, most businesses would be uh, absolutely ecstatic to be reporting that level of growth, particularly when you're talking about billions and billions of dollars. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously everyone is trying to tighten their belts at the moment. Um, so, um, you know, cloud costs are one area where potentially people are are, are looking to cut back um, and and potentially holding back off uh, on on migration projects as well. So, what what are your thoughts on this one, John? I think 
the subtext behind the article is more interesting than the article itself, as is so often true with, with both pricing and the register articles, is, yeah, and they kind of allude to this a little bit, is, yep, 35% growth is disappointing. And as you say, 27.5% revenue increase is, quote, the slowest growth in its history. It's still gone up by the best part of a third. And what I think this is pointing to is, quote, the market, the ethereal markets, voracious appetite for growth as opposed to just steady consistent performance I, I don't know if this is an american thing and it might be an american thing but certainly in businesses that i've worked in that are uk based uk markets and all the rest of it versus ones that are international global markets ones that are kind of much more home and domestic focused just kind of care about churning out nice and consistent the revenue looks good yeah okay it's grown a little bit or it's gone down a little bit but we're sustainable people are employed we're all still living in our houses stuff's getting made stuff's getting done great lovely i don't see what's wrong with a business that's not growing so long as it's not shrinking if that makes sense but the market absolutely despises that they will lose share price for not posting growth but they didn't shrink or they didn't post growth as high as they should have done should have done hang on what so yeah i think the subtext behind this is much more interesting than the article itself yep yeah i'm with you there um trying to think what else we uh wanted to pick out of this particular article. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, mean, I wanted but, to mention, actually, the, the, the layoffs. Um, you know, there's um, both Microsoft and um, AWS have announced um, significant redundancies. Um, but it's Amazon as a whole, think, isn't it? It's 18,000 yeah, from Amazon, Amazon as a whole. 18,000 from Amazon, and I think something like 10,000 from Microsoft. Um, you know, there were some uh, AWS and Azure employees included in that i think in the aws side of things it's mostly recruiters um so uh you know there's a bit of a hiring freeze at the moment so if you're not hiring i guess you don't need recruiters um so that's mostly what's well being they're usually the first from, out the door AWS. aren't they it's contractors yeah, exactly. and then it's recruiters yeah 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 um but uh you know it's interesting to see how these uh these these giant organizations are uh, are reacting to uh, to a bit of a slowdown in the market, but um, you know I, I think what we're seeing is a is a bit of a short term readjustment really, um, and uh, you know longer term these guys are not going to disappear anytime soon. Well, no, never mind the fact that it, you know it has still grown, as you say. People might be reevaluating their cost base. They might be reevaluating whether they've got the money to spend on a migration project, rather than um, you know. When you do a migration project, it's hardware refresh time, usually. <clears throat> and and folk, instead of going, do we refresh the hardware or do we move to cloud? They go, can we eke the hardware out for another year? And probably yeah. they can. Probably they can. Because hardware refreshes is what? Every three to five years on server kit? You know, I, I, I run PCs for a decade and they kind of still work. Yeah, yes, yeah, okay, it's yeah. not a server. But provided that you're not Amazon... Odds are you don't need to be refreshing it as often as people sort of seem to. So no, there are plenty of people running servers and storage arrays for six, seven, eight years, um, and you know they're still doing uh, what they <laughs> what they were designed to do for the organisation. So um, you know, I guess people are just realising now that it doesn't have to be all in on the cloud as well. Uh, you know, 
four or five years ago, it was all the stories were about everybody just throwing everything into the cloud. Let's close all of our data centers. Let's move everything to the cloud. And I think organizations are now realizing that that's not always the right thing to do. Um, you know, it's not always the best place to run all of your workloads. I've always said the cloud is not a cheap place to run virtual machines. No. So if all you want to do is go from your on-premise virtualization stack to run those virtual machines in the cloud, that's not a great use case for the cloud. You're probably not going to save money. It's going to cost you more. Um, you know, the cloud I did is sit all down and do there. the maths once back when I worked for a big finance shop and it ended up being something like 30% more expensive to run 24-7 VMs in AWS versus on-prem because, yeah. well, AWS have got to make a profit too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah really, you know, the, the real benefits come when you start to embrace things like serverless, which we're always banging on about on the podcast, uh, you know, cloud native technologies, but also it's just access to that level of elast elasticity, which you might not be able to achieve on premise. If you just want to run your VMs somewhere else, that's not a good business case really. And, uh, you know, people are cottoning onto that fact. So anyway, that brings us neatly to the end of our time this week. We've actually gone a little bit over. So apologies, people, that would be the interruption uh, midway call, through the podcast. It? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to now go and return that call. So uh, thanks again for listening to uh, to Logicast Season 2, Episode 3. We'll be back again uh, next week with another episode of Logicast. See you again next week. <laughs>